This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 128. Here's a Boo Crew fright fact. Did you know in 1996's The Craft... One scene involved using over 3,000 snakes, including boas, garter snakes, pythons, water snakes, rat snakes, and a 10-foot Amazon constrictor. Even rare albino snakes. At time of release, we are under quarantine here in California and connect remotely with writer, director, artist, and animator J.J. Villard, the Emmy-nominated creator of Adult Swim's messed-up slice of brilliance, King Star King. He is back with J.J. Villard's fairy tales. It is gory, hilarious, full of horror references, and it's casted entirely with all your favorite genre actors, including Mr. Corey Feldman, who is hanging out with you as well. We talk all about the show airing Sundays at midnight on Adult Swim, how it got made, stories from the recording booth, and more. Also hear about Corey's episode, his time filming Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and the insane sequel that almost happened. We talk about props, mementos from Corey's incredible film career, and more, including his terrific new documentary, My Truth. That said, let's get into it. Every great story starts with Once Upon a Time. All right, ready? Uh, this is J.J. Villar. And this is Corey Feldman. And you're listening to the darkest fucked up show ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right, ever, even more than yours, the Boo Crew. Sick, boys. There's a stranger in the house. Tuck in tight. And leave on the light. Hold on. It's story time. They're dark. Where's that little bitch red riding hood? They're weird. It's no right! Execute her! No, please! They're not just grim. They're grim as f. Pinocchio, you killed this poor woman! JJ <laughs> Villard's fairy tales. Congratulations. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Now you can hey. Perfect. There hey. you are. What's up? All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking nice glasses. Thanks, bro. It's my Leninesque-ness. That's I guess. great. <laughs> so, how this will work? So, we're with the website Bloody Disgusting. We're called the Boo Crew. So, I love Bloody Disgusting. Awesome, man. Well, Bloody Disgusting nice. loves you. You guys have always been huge supporters of like everything. I've done a lot of horror, obviously, in my lifetime. So, everything in that genre that I've put out, you guys have been on top of. And you've done a very good job covering. So I've always appreciated your work. Very cool, man. That means a hell of a lot coming from you. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll do a little introduction and then uh, we're off to the races and uh, swearing is okay. And that's about it, man. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio. He is hands down the most violently creative writer, director, producer, animator, and voice actor in the game. From his award-winning short Son of Satan and Chestnuts Ice Lolly in 2004, he has since gone on to work with DreamWorks on films like Shrek 3 and 4 and others, projects for Disney and the Cartoon Network. He won an Emmy in 2015, the first Emmy an Adult Swim show ever won for an animated cartoon from King Star King. His work is a gore-soaked ode to pure imagination and creativity in its most raw form. Every frame seems to reinvent the wheel with absolutely no rules. Also here is an actor, producer, writer, director, billboard charting recording artist and best-selling author who starred in over 133 films and TV projects, quite literally been a part of the most celebrated films of all time. Friday the 13th, Gremlins, The Goonies, Stand By Me, The Lost Boys, and you know what? Like instrumental teenage classics like License to Drive and Dream a Little Dream. His performances and dedication to his characters were such an important part of what made all those films iconic. We might forget sometimes that they are forever ingrained into all of our memories of experiencing cinema. How moving his monologue at the Wishing Well is still to this day. Or standing up for his father at the junkyard or as a drop dead serious comic book wielding vampire hunter that was formative in the development of the love of horror and genre for so many of us. And he continues to inspire and make films today. He has also become a soldier for change. His pioneering work in the Kids 2 movement by speaking out against child sexual abuse is having unprecedented effects with significant global impact. MyTruthDoc.com is a gateway with his impactful new documentary. He does voice work in Adult Swim's remarkable new animated series, J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales. We are honored to welcome Mr. Corey Feldman and series creator, the unimitable J.J. Villard. <laughs> Welcome, you guys, and congrats on this incredibly. Thank you, guys. I, I'm a little bit. I'm. A little, I, I'm personally a little bit taken back. That, that yeah, was quite nice a, intro. That was quite an impressive uh, send off. Yeah, that for both of us. I think you know. Really, wow. Yeah. Good research. No one knows. I. I. I worked for DreamWorks. Nor did a, a 
a student film called Chestnuts Ice Lolly. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys know your impact reigns supreme around here with us. And again, congrats on this incredibly fucked up show you guys are now a part of. And there's an <laughs> overwhelming amount of brain candy for horror nerds in this show. We want to first start off with what are the horror films, JJ, with you that created this imagination, the, the ones that, that really had an impact on you? Well, I mean, like I'd say the top five are Exorcist, Chainsaw, Basket Case, obviously Lost Boys. And I don't know, where can you put Goonies and all that? Like, I think Goonies kind of just like... You can't, in, like, except for the yeah. scene with Sloth. The scene with Sloth. At the <laughs> yeah. beginning where you're like, what the hell? How did this just turn into like a monster movie? Yeah, but but also the seriousness of Stand By Me. That that film, I watched that so many times, you know, and, and that one fucked I got to me as a kid so much. I knew that soundtrack inside out and back to front. Every time I sing uh, every day, it's a getting closer. People want to kill me when I sing that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Well, listen, I, I, and, and in retort, in retort, I watch, you know, Shrek, amongst the rest of us growing up and Shrek 2 and 3 are like some of my favorite movies on the planet so you know i thought they were so brilliant so brilliant in the sense that you know there was always this edge that was being pushed and it was never like comfortably fairy tale it was never you know and that's why immediately when they told me about you wanting to me, me to be a part of this thing with you i was like you know what i love the whole kind of dark edge of that movie because it, it you know it's something for everybody the kids don't really notice it and the adults, you know, are able to laugh and they're able to laugh at themselves. And I think that yeah. that is such an important recipe. And I knew that if you were doing something in the genre of fairy tales, that you would definitely do it right. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of inner anger um, for working on Shrek for three and a half years that I wanted to take out with a rated R right. version. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So, JJ, talk about what this series is basically about and how it got greenlit in the first place. I understand it was based all upon a sketch in your drawing pad. Yeah, it really was. Uh, uh, Mike Lazo, the, the creator of uh, Adult Swim, saw a zine of mine and um, the zine was based off of a sketchbook I drew. And uh, he saw this one page. He called up his execs and he was just like, I want JJ to base a cartoon off of this sketchbook page. And I was like, holy shit. And they, they got a hold of me. And I started speaking to Mike. He's like, what do you want to call it? And I was like, how about JJ Large Fairy Tales? He goes, that's the name, kid. We're going straight to the top. Straight to the top. <laughs> and, um, and that's what kind of happened. It was just like, it, it was honestly the fastest development I've ever had. It was less than a year, which is insane. And um, it, it, it just, when it moves like butter, you know, it just like, it just, it just worked out well. And, uh, and, and then, yeah. So, so that's how it got created. Well, it's an amazing treat for genre fans in that it's casted with a virtual who's who of legendary actors from horror, including Corey here. So what was the nexus of that idea in the process of getting someone like Corey involved? You know, I could say uh, a lie and say it was my dream and my, my passion to always work with all these celebrities, you know, and actors. But that wasn't the case. The case it wasn't true, his dream. It wasn't his wish. <laughs> it was, 
Therefore, he's taking them all back. Don't you understand what's happening right now? Yes. No, yes. No, I, I was I was foolish with my my previous pilot I did in 2017. Like I, I, I had a cast and it was just like voice actors, you know, I didn't realize like, dude, like I, I could have the opportunity to work with all these incredible actors until after um, my pilot Trap Universe got denied. We did not go to series. And I was like, fuck, what did I do wrong? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I don't have celebrities. And then I was like, what celebrities would be a dream of mine to work with? What would help motivate me to get out of bed? Because this, this shit is 12 hour days, seven days a week. You need all the motivation you can. And I was like, dude, if I got Corey Feldman to, to, to say yes to my cartoon, that would fucking make me jump out of bed and want to get to work and, uh, and bust ass. And, and sure enough, so I mean, Corey said yes. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. I'm waking oh, up every on, day at 5 a.m. I'm not even lying. Stop it. There's cooler people than me on the show. There's a lot of cool Dude. people on the show. There's, he did There's a great a lot job. Of amazing. There's, yeah, you have a terrific, yeah. terrific lineup, terrific cast. You should be very proud of everything you've assembled because it's very impressive for a first season, I must say. Talk about who you got in the corral. We got Linda Blair from The Exorcist, Robert England from Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. We got Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead, Micah Monroe from It Follows, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, uh, Warwick Davis from Leprechaun and Ewoks. And I don't, I don't even know what Ewoks is. I guess it's not a show, but it could be. Actually, it is. It's an <laughs> I think cartoon. it was, right? They did it something. Yeah, there's a cartoon called Ewoks. And then, um, I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. I mean, for, for the super fans of horror, I mean, um, get, getting Kevin Van Hintenreich from The Basket Case, that was just, like, phenomenal. And uh, John Kasser, uh, who plays the Crypt Keeper, I mean, that, that to me was like, fucking hell. I can't believe, like, uh, yeah, these people said yes. I mean, yeah, I, I was just shocked. Oh my God. That is awesome. We love that you love uh, Basket Case, man. It's some Hen and Lauder yeah. love there. That's fucking awesome. How great was It Follows as well, man? As far as horror films go, the past like decade, It Follows is just, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That and Hereditary with Millie Shapiro. Millie, Millie said yes too, and she's in two of the episodes. Hereditary was like super scary, and so was It Follows. Those those are really scary. Uh, you even you yeah. I, I heard there's a little like we saw the first three, or I don't know if they're chronologically the first three episodes, but we saw uh is there's a cluck. The Rumpel Stiltskin guy's doing a cluck. Is that a hereditary <laughs> reference? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yes, there it is. I Dude, love it. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you this those little tidbit like be, uh, behind the scenes. Millie, when Millie said yes, um, she was in New York, um, and she's the girl that plays you know Satan in uh, Hereditary, and we had to Skype her, and we turned on her her camera, and she was standing behind the mic. Now these mics that they use in cartoons are huge, and it was. The, the lighting was really dim and dark and all I could see was her silhouette and I fucking just about shit myself. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a scary image. And I said, if I hear her clock, I'm running out of this room. <laughs> like, you know what's fucking crazy? We have a cast of her head from that film on her piano oh in this room. And somebody, some, somebody on eBay went to a set yard sale in Utah and were selling, like they were selling all the shit from the movie. They didn't know what it was. And the person who bought it didn't know what it was. So they were selling off yeah. stuff from hereditary on eBay left and right for like $20. Are you serious? Yeah. We still, what? Yeah. <laughs> 
You ever decapitated him? That's gnarly. A milli. I mean, that's that's insane. Hey, Corey, do you keep anything? Have you kept anything from your your incredible career? Any mementos? Very, very little, very little, unfortunately, because I had it all, actually. You know, I mean, of course, when I did the, you know, the pictures as a little kid, like like uh, Goonies and Lost Boys, you know, they were kind enough to give you your wardrobe or I got, you know, I remember I got the bike from Goonies. I had so many props. And uh, one of the one of the molesters who's actually named in the, in the movie, the, the My Truth movie, conned me into selling him my stuff. No way. Like, yeah. That's yeah. Fucked for, up. for like, for like 400 bucks. Damn. Because what it was, Ugh. what it was, was that my parents, you know, they didn't ever give me the money. You know, they took the money. So Shit. I never saw it. I never saw it. It never touched my hands. You know what I mean? That whole thing. So when I was, you know, as a kid, I felt like a poor kid. Cause it wasn't like I had money in my pocket and I could go buy stuff if I wanted to. My parents were, you know, very, abusive and they spent the money very rapidly on their own selfish needs. So therefore I was left, you know, as a kid going, well, what, you know, what, what do I do? How do I function? You know, now I'm riding a bike with my friends. I want to go get something to eat. I want something to drink. And I wasn't even allowed to leave the house. I mean, so I would have to sneak off and do it. So it's not like I could ask for money. So literally yeah. if somebody said to you, this is a way to get $400. Yeah, man. Like $400. <laughs> Jesus, that's like a lifetime. You know, that's a fortune, right? So I was very excited at the time and I did it gleefully. I gave him the, you know, bike and I gave him my entire mouth outfit. Wow. Oh. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> I gave him the last place one later. I think I later sold him the Lost Boys one probably for like, you know, 500 or something. <laughs> did the comb come with the mouth outfit? I think it did. I think it did. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. saved everything. And, you know, and since luckily I've, I've, you know, been a little bit smarter in my later years. And thanks to a friend of mine who was actually River Phoenix's uh, guardian for the most part on the set of Stand By Me. Uh, a guy named Sky Phoenix, great guy. He was part of the Phoenix family, not officially, but kind of like, you know, he lived with them. He was part of their their entourage and they were always together. And he was very, very close with the kids and took care of them. And, you know, I know he was with River right up until before he died. And in fact, him and I have stayed in touch through the years. A lot of people don't know this, but there was a story, you know, where River and I spoke right right before probably a few months before he died uh, because I had heard he had, you know, was in the grips of an addiction and I wanted to help him. And I called and I, uh, I spoke to him briefly and he sounded very out of it and, you know, kind of didn't believe it was me. And then we spoke again, I guess a couple of days later, he called me back and he was like all excited. And he's like, Oh, it's really you. It's really you. And I was like, yeah, man, what's going on? You know? And he was like, nothing, man. No, sorry. Uh, yeah. The other day I was sleeping and da 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 and I, I just didn't think it was you. And I was like, that's cool. And he was like, yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I'd love to talk when we get back to LA, and, you know, cause I was, I was out shooting a movie and that's where I had heard what I heard. But I said, you know, are you okay? Is everything all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. But, you know, I said, I can help you. This is, you know, I've been through this. And then we were, you know, scheduled to go kind of have a meeting when we got back to LA, when I got back to LA with my wife at the time. And when I arrived back, I tried calling him and I wasn't able to reach him. And the last time we spoke, 
uh, I spoke to Sky on the phone and, and River wasn't available. And we have stayed in touch ever since because that's always one of those things where it's like, what ifs, what ifs, you know? But um, yeah, sad story, sad story. But I stayed friends with the guy and the guy, after all these years, has sent me some mementos, which are so beautiful and so heartwarming. One of which is my actual ear. So <laughs> I... Wow. I now have the possession of my ear mold, you know, the, the piece of latex that's designed as my ear, but burnt that I had to put on every day. I wanted to talk about your episode on fairy tales. I did not have an episode. Everything that you hear is completely blown out of proportion. I don't know what JJ told you. No, no. I mean, Go ahead. Sorry. What was the question? The question was, um, talk a little bit about your episode and what it was like working in the booth. Well, first of all, it was great. JJ was very, very uh, supportive and excited and just ha was having fun with it. You know, it's funny that you say that you were in hell, you know, doing all of the work because, you know, when you were on this show, you were very happy and very into it and just seemed to be loving yeah. every minute of it, which was like awesome. You know, it's great to feel that energy. And you could tell he was really grateful for what he was getting. Like he knew that this was going to be a thing and he knew that it was like really coming together well. So I knew he was already at that level of production where he, he could see it formulating and he was happy to have the cast he had and he was excited to be working with me. And it was just, it was a great experience. So that coupled with, you know, we had a fun time creating together because I came in with kind of an out there idea and, you know, he <laughs> went with it <laughs> and, uh, and then he gave me some ideas as well. And we went with that and it was like, we found this perfect balance, I think of, of just a fun, wacky couple characters. <laughs> can I, can I yeah. say something like with, with Corey, when, when he, I was so, like, I was, I'm nervous with all the actors, but with like Corey, obviously I was like super nervous and I'm like, okay, I got to stay grounded. I got to stay professional for some fucked up reason. I don't know why I thought he was going to be coming in with like an entourage and Corey's angels and yeah, shit like right? that. You know, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. He was so professional. He came in like all fucking, he just was like, he was the, he came in 10 minutes early, talked over the script with me. And then, and then he had his um, thoughts on, on the voices and all that. And, and they were great. And then I, he didn't know he had to come up with his own voice for the dwarfs and um, just like a, a make, cause he had to do two dwarfs and they each had to have their own voice. And then he, they, they had to disguise their own voices in the cartoon a part of the story <laughs> and, and he had to come up with a new voice and he came up with one right then and there and it was just like he's like hello my name is Rodriguez Jones and it was just like it just came up out of him <laughs> and great. it was amazing it was just like it, it turned out so good the boo crew will be right hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price Priceline back Jason is back three times before Sorry, you change your mind? You have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Because Friday, April 13th, will be Jason's unlucky day. 
Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Now playing at a theater near you. Consult your local listings. So is his like a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs send up? What is what yeah. is his? Yeah. So 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 Corey was the woodsman and also two of the dwarves. Oh, um, yeah, he's great. in company with Alan Oppenheimer, the voice of uh, Skeletor, and Neil Doug. I think his last name is the Hitchhiker in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, and and Neil. And Neil. Yes. Yes. Oh my oh, yeah, God, yeah, that's awesome. That's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, and all I can say is. When you see me walking around as my character, you'll know the entire episode. I've got wood. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, as far as like grim fairy tales go, I mean, I know they date back to the 1800s. In doing research, did you find one that was like super, super grim? I mean, I know the original Cinderella is just crazy like stepsisters cutting off their feet to fit into shoes and blood and gore what was the darkest one that you've researched well what we really noticed was like how many holes were were in all these stories and how a lot of these stories don't make sense the, the biggest one was pinocchio that thing makes no sense <laughs> right like, absolutely i agree <laughs> i agree it's, you're always like so wait a minute is he, does he wake up as a wooden boy? Does he wake up as a real boy? Was he ever a puppet in the first place? I'm so confused. And there's a cricket. And then what the cricket does is like, what the fuck is this cricket doing here? All of a sudden, and he's friends with a cat. And then Geppetto lives by himself. It's just like, what is this fucking story? And then, I mean, uh, I can know, see the there's a balance of good and evil. There's like the cricket is the conscience. And then you go to hell if you don't, you know, think everything's all yeah. fun and games all the time. I get that part of it. And that's about yeah. it. The rest of it, I'm completely yeah. baffled. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then seeing what Disney did with it. And then like, I always thought as a kid, I tiddly D it's a, it's a, I always just say, I tiddly D it's a pirate's life for me. I didn't realize that I was from Pinocchio. It's an actor's life for me. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. It's I tiddly D it's, it's an actor's life for me. Yeah. And then you got to oh, like Hollywood one. is like, is like the, the, the place where all the kids go to fucking um, become donkeys. And it's just, it's just so weird and like dark and fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, in the original, the, he kills the cricket. Like Pinocchio yes. just like, yeah. murders. That's fucked. Yeah. What the his fuck? best buddy? Yeah. He kills yeah. his conscience? Yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's got to be the darkest one. Did you make that one? I just have to ask. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's the one where John Castle, the Crypt Keeper, is Pinocchio. And he did it. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> oh, God. Doing all that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Now, when you watch a show, you can you can kind of get lost in the delicious randomness of the experiences, right? It's insane. Just balls to the wall. But the one thing that kind of grounds it, that some people don't, you know, it's going on, but some people don't notice, is that you actually design, like, really strong characters that you care about. How important is that yeah. to be able to ground the whole craziness? Well, uh, after King Starking, my show in 2015, like uh, I was sick of people saying this show's like acid. Uh, look, I've done a lot of drugs, but uh, I've never done acid. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, my and my drug taking days are like way over. But like I, I was like, God damn it. I don't want to be known as the acid show. So so going in the fairy tales, it was always story first 
everything else second. We have to have a clear, coherent story. And um, that's what I went into the writer's room with. Standards and practices said there's three rules. After King Star King, which was so perverted and sexual, you know, like with strippers and stuff like that. Like uh, they just standards and practices was worried for me to be a creator again. So they said no sex jokes, no religious jokes and no fart and vomit jokes. Those were strict rules. So yeah, that was, <laughs> I'm so glad to see, I'm so glad to see you followed all of them. <laughs> we did. We did. I was like, I was like, I could do it. Come on. That was a challenge. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. And uh, we did it. If you look at this cartoon, None of those things are in it. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I see flashes of subliminal messages on the screen. Was that something that you labored upon? No, no. That was like, uh, that was, again, based off my sketchbook. Like In my sketchbook, I draw. I write notes down. I also, anything uh, anyone says that is interesting, I kind of just like, write that down. I write quotes down and all that shit. So I started applying my sketchbook to my animation in college. And um, I started like fucking drawing like quotes in the, in the animation. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to just start doing that again. And then I did that in this film. So the quotes are shit, shit. I just hear on the streets or whatever, or just read and things like that. There are some great ones in uh, trap universe as well. For anyone listening who hasn't seen, you can see the pilot oh, yeah. on there. Oh my God, dude, that, that, that show is amazing yeah. as well. Congrats on, on trap universe. And I really hope that someone just fucking launches it as a, as a full series. Cause it needs to be explored. Yeah. It's like cannibal Holocaust in the end credits, right? The theme from cannibal Holocaust. Right. The, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's so true. Jeez, I, that, you're the first person to catch that. Yeah, it's, it's that. <laughs> I mixed it in. Yeah, it's weird to have that in a cartoon. Yeah, Corey, just going back to Friday the 13th, uh, final chapter for a second here, because it's, it's, like the, it's a huge a fan favorite, man. You know, everybody loves it. Uh, your character, Tommy. I have to ask about the final scene, you know, right after you kill Jason, spoiler alert, but uh, there's a scene where the camera lingers on you and you open your eyes, you give this ominous look and, you know, give the impression that there's something more. Was there ever a conversation about returning to the franchise as your character Tommy in a darker role? You know what? There has been more than talk. It's been discussed probably at every level, but it's never happened. You know, we've uh, first of all, when when the original sequel to what was supposed to be the end, the final chapter was eventually discussed, which, by the way, was while we were shooting the fourth one, because we all knew how good it was going to be. And that was where, uh, this is a true story. I had an idea that I told Joseph Zito, the director, I said, wouldn't it be cool if they did a movie and I'm looking at these two houses because we're shooting on the set with these two houses, you know, and they're perfect horror movie houses. One that we built for the movie and the other one we had, it was just there. They rented it, but they dressed it. And it was in the middle of the woods and it was very isolated. And it was right there in, in Woodland Hills, you know, in part of the valley where, you know, I grew up. So I'm going like, hey, this is great. You know, right around the corner from us, it's this wonderful set and it looks so great. Wouldn't it be cool if we did a movie that was like Jason versus Michael Myers? Whoa! And Joseph Zito, yes! Joseph, wow. Zito, oh. Joseph Zito looks at me and he's like, that's a great idea. And I'm like, yeah, well, me and my cousin were like running around during lunchtime playing, you know, make-believe on the horror sets with all the, you know, people like stuck in parts of doors and, you know, there's somebody's <laughs> arms left on a counter over here. And, you know, there's the five Jason masks in a bin. All you got to do is throw one on. 
You know what I mean? So that's the upside of wow. playing around as a kid on a horse head is like you've got all the tools to be as imaginary as you want to. And it's great. It's a great time. Let me tell you. So we were, <laughs> you know, we were playing this imaginary makeup game anyway. And that was, I think, how I came up with the idea. And then I brought it to him and he thought it was a great idea. And from there, we started talking about what would it be like if we did a sequel to this movie? Because, you know, he's like, you know, that end scene, he would say to me, that end scene, it's so powerful. You know, it's going to make them want, it's going to make them want a sequel. We got to think of something. We got to come up with what the sequel is going to be. And I said, well, let's just make it what happens after this. You know, he's, you know, maybe is he crazy? Is he not crazy? Maybe they think he's crazy. And we would have these talks. And then nothing and nothing and nothing. And then all of a sudden I go and I do Goonies and I'm shooting Goonies and they call me up and say, okay, we're ready. We're ready with that script. You know? And I'm like, that's great. I'm a little busy for the next six months. And they're like, oh. you know, well, Man- Mancuso wants to go right away. He wants, you know, they do these things in, you know, two weeks or three weeks or whatever, you know, and they don't, they, they spend a decent amount of money. I mean, in those days, what, Five million, eight million for a studio film was still a small budget studio film, but it was still a lot for a horror movie in this day and age. Uh, so uh, you know they didn't they didn't really. It was amazing, you know what what they did for for it was a studio, but it looked like an independent film, and they would keep it that way. And it was just it, the magic of it worked. I think if you would have tried to do what they do these days with a hundred million dollar budgets. You know, it doesn't work the same. That's what the magic of it was, the charm of the old school special effects and and all of it being practical and, you know. But anyway, I'm on a tangent. So the point is, is that it was a great it was it was a great moment. And I thought of this and we all talked about it. And then it didn't happen because I was doing Goonies. And then they said, well, what if we you know, we rewrote the script. Now we're not going to have you star in it because obviously you're not around but we still need a cameo because we need to explain what happens to you. And I was like, okay. So I ended up shooting that cameo that I do in part five on a Sunday after working six days on Goonies because we were shooting Monday through Saturday. So I shot the seventh day on Friday the 13th and then went back to work on Monday. So I ended up shooting a 13-day week that week. Oh my God. Wow. God damn. That's legendary, man. Don't you think, don't you think I'm not to get political on you, but don't you think that by the union laws, a child that started working at that age should have the right to retire by my age at this point, right? <laughs> you would think so. Like most people start working like 21 and they retire at 55 or 65. <laughs> right. But like, but like, you know, if you're a kid, you start at three years old and you work for like a hundred years and then you finally get something out of it. It's pretty screwed up. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on from that and and congratulate you, Corey, on the release of the documentary you just produced. Three years it took you to make this thing. Thank you. Yes, it did. And we encourage everyone to experience this story, and that needs to break through the silence. And you did a one-time only streaming premiere, and now can you tell people how they can they can actually still watch this now? Yeah. Well, what happened was the actual streaming premiere was hacked, and so the story that got out massively was that it was hacked. And unfortunately, people heard that part of the story and they didn't hear the part of the story that we got it back up and running after two days. Uh, So we did finally get it the next day up and running. 
people who paid for it eventually got to see it because we left it up for 24 hours straight and then we played it for the rest of the week. And then it was down for a month and we found that there's this massive, massive campaign to not only silence us, but to deplete us of our funds because they've had literally, you know, the typical streaming you get, you know, there's always going to be some BitTorrent. There's always going to be YouTube channels. You get them taken down. But this has been unlike anything we've ever seen. We had to hire a cyber protection company. Uh, they literally not only hacked the film, but pirated the film and then put up a copy of it on a whole other site, which they actually copied completely from the first site and they stole the script and then they were able to stream it. So this is a very intricate, very complicated thing that they did. And on top of it, they made the interface look just like our actual site. So they were selling tickets at $10 more and then, you know, just all sorts of shenanigans that we've been dealing with from, you know, literal threats to things like uh, sending people that are affiliated with me child porn. Whoa. So it's very, very serious stuff. Yeah, it's not okay. It's very illegal. It's a big problem. That, that is, is insane, nice. man. Oh, my God. Crazy. Well, wow. we, we checked out the documentary uh, the other night, and you did such an incredible job on it. And it's really having some real world changes, things that you're a part of. And some of it as bringing forth as your ambassador of child USA, and you've actually managed to help change laws. Can you talk a little bit about what your work there has done? Well, I, I wouldn't say that I've done it. I personally can't take the credit for it myself, but I can say I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a great team because child USA is at the forefront of doing what uh, must be done to bring justice to children and to survivors of abuse, because this is something that's been ignored by the courts. It's been ignored as a system in our government for a long time, and not just our government, but around the world. I mean, you see it with the Catholic Church, you see it with, you know, the sports, you see it in the Boy Scouts, you see it all over. And our industry is just another example of it. But it's a very important topic. And the most important thing is that people need to understand, first of all, that this is real and that it's out there and you must do whatever you have to do to protect your children. Number two is that you have to understand that there is something that can be done. Justice can be achieved. We just have to be louder and we have to keep fighting back no matter what, and not give up. So as long as we fight for justice for our children, then we can do the right thing. And that's why we take you through the steps of how it works. And that's a very important part of the documentary. So I really encourage people to check it out while they can. It's streaming right now at mytruthdoc.com. So go check it out. Awesome, Corey. Hell Thank yeah. you so much, man. All right, moving forward. What do you guys got going on in the tank? We'll start with JJ after this show. You've been working with Netflix, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after um, JJ Vlogs Fairy Tales, I pitched to Netflix like nine ideas in 2018. And I never heard back from them. It was just like every other month I was pitching three ideas to them. And, um, and I was like, okay, I guess Netflix wasn't meant for me. Lo and behold, December, they contacted me. and like, yo, we want to make one of these, uh, these things you pitched me. I'm like, which one? And then uh, they, they told me which one it was. And I was like, wow, that's fucking great. My thing's going to wrap right when we, you know, finalize contract and all that shit. And so, um, yeah, that's what's happening right now. I'm working with uh, Netflix on uh, a new series. 
Perfect. That's amazing, man. And Corey, what nice, about you, nice. man? What's what's what have you been working on, man? You're always busy. Well, I'll tell you what. I've not been busy because I've been quarantined for the last three months. That's true. <laughs> uh, had to basically go off the radar to do it. So it's been a very interesting time. I mean, there's been a lot, a lot going on. But one thing I can be very happy about is the fact that uh, the single for the soundtrack of the album just hit number 19 on the Billboard charts this week with a bullet. Ow! So that is yeah! my highest, highest charting song. That's amazing, so man. Nice. Thank nice. you for the empathy. I mean, the uh, appreciation. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Freudian slip, Freudian slip. Uh, no, uh, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to see it on the Billboard charts and people seem to really love it. So, uh, So it's a nice thing. And especially because of the sentiment behind it. Because the the song is actually dedicated to Corey Haim, and it it is a very personal song to all all survivors of abuse, telling them that you can let it go and you can move on and you can get justice for what you deserve. Hell yeah! Just one or two more quick ones for JJ here. I wanted to ask about the use of the shining theme in the Boy oh, yeah. Punzel episode. How did you get that cleared, dude? It was strange. Like I have a composer; he's fucking amazing, and um. Uh, he has like, he's a Harvard graduate and he lets me know that all the time. And that's really cool. But, but um, I'm just saying like, he knew about just music history, like insane. And so I put in the shining theme in the, in the episode. And I was like, can we, can we like do a version of what Stanley Kubrick created? And he's like, JJ, that music was made in, in the 1400s. We have the rights to use it. Anything over a hundred years old is public domain. So we went ahead and just like did our version of it and it turned out fucking awesome. Well, I didn't even know that. I always thought that oh, somehow, yes. yeah, it was custom made for the shining. That's crazy. Uh, it was made in like 1420. It's like it, it, by these monks. It's fucking nuts. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. So wait, does that mean very soon? Like all the Beatles music is going to be like, <laughs> you, <need to> clear <laughs> you know, I've always thought about that. I don't know anything Mozart and Beethoven you can use. Like you can right. use Tchaikovsky, all that shit. Right. So I'm exactly. wondering, like, yo, what's up? What was made in in 1920 that we can rip off? Start like, right working now? with, right? right yeah, exactly. stick a trap beat underneath <laughs> it. Hit singles left and right. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> so yeah, we got to look into that. See what's up. That's amazing. <laughs> the next 30 years, man, it's gonna be a booming business. <laughs> yeah. <I'm telling> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be all dancing to chamber music. <laughs> That's fucking great, you guys. All right, well, we're going to let you guys go, but thank you so much for doing this with us. We are so excited. Hell yeah. Thank you Hell guys yeah. so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. Fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. God bless Hell you. Hell yeah. Good luck thank with the show. Yeah, Corey. Thanks, Corey. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 128. Special thanks to our guests, J.J. Villard and Corey Feldman. Follow them at J.J. Villard and Dog 22 on Instagram. You can also find J.J. Villard on Twitter at J.J. Villard. Watch J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales Sundays at midnight on Adult Swim. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying stay safe, stay healthy, and sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew 
is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/slash podcasts.